0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Cooper, I help connect business with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry, t- passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Cooper and I connect businesses with talented software engineers in the Java and mobile market. Today I'm joined by Pre, Manny and Dip to discuss the best practice for engineering excellence, enhancing effectiveness and efficiency. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Pre, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone. First of all, thanks for having me here today, Cooper. Um, my name is Priyank Agiamali. I work at Belong Technology, which is basically a prop tech business where we um, create like white label software solution for built-to-rent, co-living and other residential environments. So um, a few things about me is I started off my career as a software engineer and then slowly moved to leadership. I enjoy working with tech startups, helping them bridge the gap between like technical and business requirements so that's mostly about me
0: awesome thank you for that pre what about yourself manny
2: thanks cooper uh, that was very interesting priyanka um hey everyone i'm Manny or money in the so i'm a tech lead or engineering lead at vanguard and for more most of Part of my career, I've been a full-stack developer, or solution designer, and I've been in the industry for last over last 11 years. At the core, I'm all about solving the right problems and more so simplifying them. And so while in the process, I've just touched you know, a lot of technologies from front-end to back-end, databases, cloud, and so on. Uh, but I really enjoy working with anything with TypeScript or JavaScript. But outside of work, I run an engineering newsletter. A few personal servers, home automation. I've got a veggie garden here where I spend more most of my mornings when I'm working from home. And yeah, I'm always happy to you know like to network with people, chat about technical and non-technical banter. Yeah, that's that's pretty much me.
0: Awesome, thank you f- for that, Manny. And last, Dip, do you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, and hello
3: again, everyone. Uh, glad to participate uh, in, you know in this chat and uh, have a good chat about how things go so i am my name is dipanjan uh, laha but people call me deep here uh, and i have been uh, with atlassian for a while uh, i am a senior engineering manager here uh, and i lead a uh, mid sized group uh, around some of the platform capabilities uh, we have for admins uh, using atlassian products like like the rest of you I also started my career as a software uh, developer uh, I used I started off as a back uh, back end engineer uh, kind of uh, went on that track uh, mostly worked on the uh, java tech stack uh, in and around java te- tech stack building cloud uh, or uh, saas applications um and yeah like uh, I moved to management uh, quite some time back uh, but you know i still uh, enjoy uh, architecture solution design and uh, still enjoy coding and contributing to uh, open source projects and as much as i can from, from my personal side like yeah uh, i love to bake uh, i love to bake uh, sourdough breads uh, and i uh, love to go on an
0: occasional uh, paddle or kayaking in and around sydney so yeah Nice. Thanks for that, Dip. Did you um, learn to make sourdough during uh, um, COVID? This is a question that I get all the time, uh, but no, I, I started off a long time back. Uh, okay. But it, yes, it picked up during COVID for sure. I was going to say, so you're like the OG of the sourdough, like pre, pre-COVID, Pre-COVID. the sourdough love. All right, cool. Um, right. Well, now that we've established context to each of you. Let's move on to the topic and focus. You all have a question or a statement based on best practice for engineering excellence, enhancing effectiveness and efficiency. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Pri, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so this a statement or a question is something that I get asked a lot and something I think about a lot as well. Like how can we foster a culture of innovation and experimentation within our engineering team? Because we all know that there's a structure and there's process that's required to run a business. But then there's also like a desire for creativity and experimentation. And um, when I see myself, um, when working as a developer, if I was asked to do the same thing and, and again and again, like this lack of motivation, you always want to seek something interesting, something new that makes you feel proud to become part of. And that is what I try to incorporate um, in my like technical plannings as well. Because when you see things from a developer perspective, as well as from the management and from the business perspective, um, it is quite tricky to pick up like the good balance um, between the creativity side and the structure and process side. And I guess um, what has helped me so far is bringing new ideas into the workplace. Um, like without a culture of innovation, um, there's only stagnant process. Um, being a developer, you know what you're going to do, but there's no drive and there's there's no passion why you are doing that apart from just doing what you have in your task list right so I guess um, there's a need of um, culture of innovation be it uh, for a startup or big companies this is something I guess uh, we deal with every single day are we making the customers happy and not looking after our team the technical team because um, that balance is is a must and without Without innovation, I guess um, even our developers, they, they um, get that like inability, inability to adapt to new tools and new technologies, because you've seen that um, if you are engaged in like multiple sides of the project, then you get more creative and want to um, do not hesitate to pick up something new. But if you are stuck in just one module of the project, you know, it's so difficult for you to switch to another one. So that's why I guess um, there's there's a need of experimentation. And I am always seeking like how other companies are doing it, how other technical leaders are doing it so that there's a good balance.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll pass over to Manny first. What's your take on this?
1: Yeah,
2: it's always an interesting space about, you know, talking about innovation and why it is so important. Uh, having highly engaged teams matter most, you know, to the, to the leaders all the time, uh, more than anything. So in my mind, what I've seen working well is uh, for the innovation, you need to give space to the team. So th- there are f- few things I've seen, like people doing hackathons, having one, one innovation day per month. Sort of thing, and then you know, going back to the routine. But that's not sustainable in my mind. Uh, that works well, you know, for one day when teams enjoy. It. It's sort of a you know, they take a break, step back from their regular work. But then after that hackathon has happened or innovation day has happened, they roll back into that same routine again. It's not sustainable. But what I've seen is like to create highly engaged teams, the innovation will automatically come so if your teams are highly engaged. And one of the way that I've seen that you know how to create highly engaged teams is rather than giving them uh, tasks to implement or just write a microservice, right? You know, giving technical tasks to uh, to the team, give them a problem to solve, and then enable them with all the tools they need to solve that problem. So they are aligned with the problems, not with the task. Right? When they're solving a problem, they will think about innovation, innovative solutions to solve that problem space yeah, there's no like a limitation to the solution they're coming up with so they're always innovating in every sprint, they're coming with the new solution they're implementing right so sometimes uh, you know, as a leader you, you just need to give them a space and step back from telling them what to do but uh, In very specific way, just give them a wide wide, wider problem to solve. For example, uh, one of the easiest—I'm just an example. You could say that if you are building a new application, the normal process of logging and registration, right? So some companies would just give these are the APIs to implement. This is the uh, you know IDP we are going with. This is the SSO. Well, this is how it will work. Just go and do it. The second team where you just say the user need to log in and register onto the platform, right? So then they will find the best solution. They're innovating in that problem space. So that, that really helps bring you that innovation mindset in day-to-day activities rather than having it once a month or once a quarter thing type of thing. But then it also requires you know, buying from other stakeholders as well because there are risks associated with this. We are just you know, there are no guardrails. So, what's the guarantee that solution is going to be a robust? Is going to be a scalable? So you you need it starts with you know hiring the right people basically um, the team the people on the team who know or have you know that dream or passion to solve the right problems but also solving them rightly so solving the right problem in the right way and so it's a really tricky balance uh, but. I think once you build a team around this core principle that they are they are solving a problem, not implementing a task, they become highly engaged, and then they're always innovating. That That's what I think. What do you think, Dipanjit?
3: Yeah, so uh, you raised, uh, both of you raised like, excellent like uh, points, right? Like money, your uh, take on innovation, uh, I love it. Uh, it's like the solution, uh, it's more solution-driven uh, or solving the problem-driven rather than the technical solution itself. And you empower the team to figure that out. And pre, like something you mentioned uh, right at the start uh, when you started talking uh, resonated really well with me, which was, uh, you know, like when we say we are shipping a feature, we have business needs, right, like uh, business needs are more driven by the company business. So when the devs are working on these uh, things, it is also like, hey, this is the need of the business. But uh, many a times, like there are timelines, uh, deliverables, uh, commitments, uh, and with with that comes a lot of pressure, right? Uh, But we all know that, you know, having fun and happy teams uh, are the key to, you know, building great products. And to get that a lot of times, you do need to give the teams the space so that they can work on something that they are passionate about, not just the business needs. So uh, Mani, you mentioned uh, something around, uh, you know, how to innovatively solve the business solutions. Uh, The other angle that I would want to touch upon is, you know, how do we give them the space to work on Something that they are really passionate about, and maybe encourage ideas to come out of that. Like, uh, I'm not. Uh, there's one thing like, like Atlassian has a product called uh, Jira uh, Service Management, that kind of came out of a, a hackathon or an innovation week. Uh, it wasn't like it just came out of a. We call it its. So it was a hackathon, it came out of that, and then it was productized. So these kind of, and there are plenty of things uh, in the software industry across companies where people have just come up with brilliant things, brilliant ideas, just because you have given them the space to go out there and do something with no strings attached. Uh, But the interesting thing is how do you balance that out with the business needs? You have to ship, you have to deliver, and you have to make money. And yes, hackathons uh, at times work. It's a hit and miss. Uh, there are, we do something called Innovation weeks. So every quarter we would uh, pause all work uh, for a week uh, across multiple teams. And we would ask them that, hey, figure out something, go form a team, do something. It's not a hackathon, so you have a week or at times two weeks. So you have more time to think, figure out what you want to solve and then go and solve it. Uh, I would say... 80% of the time, uh, what uh, people do is they solve things and they build things to make their lives easy. So they would you know, build tooling around the regular work, which would make the developer's life easy. But uh, then again, we come up with new features uh, and new feature ideas because there you are not restricting anyone to wear any hat. So a dev can go and design, dev can become a PM, a PM can code. We encourage, uh, you know, engineering manager, every craft to participate in that. And we have seen like uh, and uh, like good results come out of it. But the most important thing, again, going back to what you mentioned, teams have fun and they come out very fresh and rejuvenated uh, after that week. And then we are back again in the groove, but everyone looks forward to that next innovation week when uh, that will come up.
1: Nice. Yeah, good, good insights from both of you. Um, I I knew that Jira service management was created like out of a hackathon idea. And that's that's really interesting because that is how um, we understand about what's needed for the business, actually, rather than just um, seeing from the business perspective, uh, because as a developer, tester, anyone engaged in the project, they are uh, so committed to the platform, right? It's not always the user. Maybe the user would um, look into one part of the project, but as uh, being like a stakeholder in the project, you look at the overall structure and that's how you can think of um, creative ideas to solve their problems. And yeah, interesting, interesting uh, topic and interesting um, ideas can come up just to, with these kind of questions, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there was some really good points uh, touched on by everyone. And it's interesting to sort of know, like, yeah, you can do an innovation day and that's really exciting for a team. But if you turn that into a monthly cycle, it just becomes another meeting. Right. And then yeah. you lose that innovation. So we will move over to Manny's question next. Do you want to go, Manny?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, as engineering leaders, we are always making trade-offs. So, software engineering is all about trade-offs. So, whenever whenever we are developing a solution to a problem, we're trying to solve a you know, work in a problem space. The three uh, trade-offs that comes in leaders' bucket is like in you know, a cost, quality, and speed. But we are always given to choose. We can only Pick two between these three. So if we pick quality and speed. We might have have to sacrifice on the cost savings. So you know, a big we can go a SAS solution, which is easy to integrate, gives higher quality, but it's expensive as well, right? Or the other way around. So whenever you pick cost and then the quality, you know, you know, minimize the cost but increase the quality. That might affect the trade-off is speed. So it might take. More time to get into the market, you might lose potential customers out in the market if you don't move faster. And you're always making these trade-offs in different life cycle of the software development, right? But at the end of the day, what matters uh, for a robust organization is the quality and speed, right? Uh, but there's uh, the cost we are given is always limited. So how do you balance? These trade-offs that you are going to the market faster with higher quality, but keeping the cost in mind. What are your take on it, Priyanka? Given that you know uh, you might be seeing this in day-to-day.
1: In a startup world, to be honest, every day we need to think of this question. Like every day, what are we gonna trade off today? Um, yeah, it's we cannot avoid this, and um, I look at this. Um, From from a perspective of like building a house, if you start building a house, you want everything to be of good quality, right? But then um, eventually you do some trade-off Maybe um, you choose like a prefabricated component, or maybe you do, do not want to spend much on the interior or the design, and that's how you build a house. Similarly, when building a product as well, I guess um, the same analogy would be applied. Uh, we need to think of what's the acceptance limit, like till what um, point can we uh, compromise on the quality, or what's the urgency of the situation? So. Um, there can be situation where we need to roll a functionality out in production uh, within a week, right? So during that time, we might want to push more on the technical um, logic rather than the UI, UX. That is something we can revisit later. So I guess um, it's about prioritizing, understanding, like, till what point can we um, compromise the level of quality? And again, looking at the urgency um, the need the need at the time yeah
2: yep yeah, yeah that that makes sense do you use some sort of tools do you measure you know these trade-offs and come back to it and then you know fix it up or balance it out or rebalance once you are in the market or stuff like that
1: um we use jira so we have those things in backlog and then we uh, think like what can be the Task that would fall out of our technical depth because as we start building things when we start compromising um in the quality then we also have like a huge pile of technical depth mm. lying around us right so we, we need to go back and forth to that so it's not something we just leave behind and look up after a year but it's like a, it's like a practice it's like a pro, process that we follow Every week, when we release things, when we develop things,
2: yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Depending on how how you're solving this problem,
3: uh, this is actually a uh, like if you think about it, this is this is almost like everything we all do, right? Uh, mm. it, it, it this is like hundred percent, mostly hundred percent of our time. But uh, you know, just to approach uh, this uh, question, like. Every feature, every product or every software is different. Uh, Even the company, the stage of the company is also different uh, wherever you're working. Say for a startup where you are trying to uh, grab the market, you would want to ship fast, super fast. And maybe you are cashed up, maybe you have got a lot of venture uh, funding, then cost is not immediately your concern, but you might become compromising on the quality a bit just to get out there and get those customers in and lock them in. Right. And then, you know, uh, for when things get more established or say you are building something for a client who is, uh, you know, a very established, maybe in the finance sector. So there. You you know you wouldn't compromise on quality that much because the implications of that is huge and it could literally put you know uh, businesses out of uh, companies out of business uh, essentially so uh, yeah it, it 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 is you know on a case by case basis in our case I can uh, you know take a few examples. Um, our teams uh, work on building the platform, uh, which manages users, groups, permissions, etc. So there are you know huge security implications if we get things wrong. So we have to be super careful uh, on what we ship and how we ship. But that doesn't mean that you know we can't ship fast and at times compromise on quality uh, just to get the feature out there and how we do that is through an uh, experimentation framework or you know releasing a feature to a subset of customers uh, tagging it as an alpha or beta and setting uh, expectation with the customer that hey this is there for you to try out and use but we do not guarantee all the things that you know we would usually guarantee in a stable feature so and of course you don't you know blast it out to uh, you know hundred hundred thousand customers you reduce the blast radius so that is the trade-off that we usually do like if we are shipping fast we would ship to a much smaller uh, section of our customers just to make sure that you know if we get things wrong uh, the blast radius is uh, lower and we don't damage do much damage uh, but of course you know we would then take the feedback from those features. Uh, uh, figure out bugs, there's always bugs, right? Figure out bugs, fix it, and then finally uh, ship it to a much larger group.
2: Yeah, that, that that's a really interesting point when you said, you know, it depends where the company is at, like what stage, you know, the startup, the startup might have, you know, low running, low on funding or, you know, they have just got a new round of funding and then the cost is not an issue. But speed is always something startup wants and so the cost and quality is something you know they, they always play with yeah that that really uh, put things in perspective uh, how the organizations run and what stage and also i don't, i think it's it also depends the life cycle of the of the software as well how mature the product is as the product you know is gets towards more maturity you start putting in more quality and the speed, the velocity gets a little bit slow. But then you start managing. You start all seeing all these emails to reduce AWS costs from your stakeholders and so on, which becomes a regular regular tasks just uh, just to get things out of the the yeah out of the pipeline.
3: Yeah, the AWS thing is uh, like I- I'm laughing because uh, I think that is a constant everywhere. You know when yeah. we- are shipping fast, we are like, ah, let's go and do this. And a year down the line it hits you, right? The yeah. database bills, uh, they hit you and it's like, oh man, what did we do? We are spending so much bucks.
2: Yeah. Th- then then you rethink about the architecture, all the databases you have created for each microservice, and you know how to reduce the cost on that. So that's why you are always, you know, trading off. And then you need to rebalance after you have stabilized or got out of that phase one or phase two yeah you, know, you come back revisit rebalance the scales again but you can
3: always pick to that that's a very good point Mani. like uh, you know in your question when we say that we are trading off uh, the trade off doesn't ha- have to happen at the same point of time right mm. we can do a particular trade off and then later in the cycle we can then optimize for other things as well so uh, that's a really good point
0: yeah, for sure. I also really like Dip where you were talking around. Uh, if it is a a new feature that has to come out quickly, um, just giving it to like a pilot test of of clients or users and reducing that that blast radius, um, and and that impacts if it does sort of go sideways. Because look, it's you, nothing's ever guaranteed, right? So having those and those groups of people that you send out for that pilot test and setting that clear. Um, example of saying this is actually just a pilot it's just beta testing it's not going to be perfect let us know your feedback so that we can improve i think is something that a lot of companies can really um value and uh, drive a lot of value from i'd say um i want to pass over to you now dip to jump in with your question
3: yeah, it's uh, you know, it's not more of, uh, it's not. I I would say it's a question as such, and it kind of ties in nicely what pre and money you were talking about, right? Like uh, pre, you were talking about innovation, how to give that time to the team so that they can innovate, and money you were talking about trade offs. Uh, this is also one such trade off, and me coming from uh, you know a platform back- background, this trade off is very important to us, but. Uh, if we spend too much time in this particular area that takes away time uh, from the team to innovate so what i wanted to uh, touch on is uh, you know how do we encourage and self enable teams to maintain operational uh, excellence uh, while you know sh- still shipping value to customers or uh, you know still innovating uh, and still making the business money uh, but before uh, before i dive into that i just wanted to call up like what do i mean by operational excellence right like uh, for operational excellence, when I talk about it, it's more about, uh, you know, say you're running uh, a SaaS product uh, on the cloud, uh, thousands of customers are using it. So how do you maintain the reliability of the software, uh, the performance of the software uh, the data integrity uh, as well as you know, security features are on the software. Uh, that's a big part of operational excellence. And the other thing that uh, we would consider is as you're shipping uh, new features, uh, how do you prevent uh, regression and uh, prevent critical bugs? So that's what I mean, like how do you keep running uh, your thing, you keep uh, running your ship and keep the lights on while shipping new stuff? And how do we self-enable teams? Uh, and why is this important right like uh, this becomes uh, you know uh, a question like why do we have to care about operational excellence Uh, customers trust us with their data Uh, so uh, you know we have recent examples where uh, we have had data breaches uh, uh, in multiple companies Uh, there has been previous examples like one uh, great uh, case study is the Night Capital Group uh, that happened I think in 2011 or 2012. Uh, they were a trading company in Wall Street. Uh, they had a simple human error, a simple bug. They lost I think $450 million in 45 minutes and that kind of uh, put them out of, uh, literally put them out of business. So uh, these things, you know, these are, uh, if we don't maintain these things, these, these can be company killers uh, as such. So if we and you know if we can't uh, keep the com- uh, customers' data and trust, uh, that becomes a huge problem. So, uh, in you know in our group and uh, and in Atlassian in general, we follow this uh, approach of a blameless but accountable culture uh, to make sure that we are meeting operational excellence. The first thing we have to acknowledge that we will have bugs, uh, no matter how much testing or no matter how much test coverage you have, we will still humans make errors, we will ship bugs to our customers. Uh, once we do acknowledge that, then we can focus our efforts on how do we prevent those bugs uh, from reaching production in the first place. Uh, if they reach production, how do we detect them faster? And once we detect them, how do we resolve them uh, faster? So these three uh, you know, key points uh, become the basis of the blameless culture. So you don't actually uh, talk about, like when a bug happens, you don't actually talk about why the bug happened. You start talking about why couldn't you detect the bug before it reached production? What can you do to detect it even sooner if it reaches production, and once we detect it, uh, how do we resolve it faster? And with that, the entire you know once uh, this bug happens and we go ahead and uh, solve these issue for the customer, the effort on analyzing that is basically to reduce these three main criteria. So we would have you know a post. We call it PIRs, Post-Incident Reviews, which are primarily focused on improving these three matrices. Now, obviously, you know, you're not uh, blaming anyone, but you are trying to improve your processes uh, or you're trying to improve ways in which you can detect and resolve uh, things faster. But that doesn't mean that, you know, the teams are not accountable for it. Uh, Teams are accountable for it, but how do you make them accountable without, you know, asking them to be accountable uh, so i think that's the main thing right like uh, the first thing is everyone is on the line so everyone goes on call uh, you know to support uh, so the teams have their interests uh, in mind so if you are going on call and if you have uh, if you can detect things before it reaches production you don't uh, have problems or bugs in the production so when you are going on call and supporting your services you have a much uh, easier time. So uh, there's time in that. Uh, and of course, like when these bugs happen, at times it takes away so much time to solve uh, them, fix them, fix customer data, wrap everything up. Uh, it takes away time from, say, pre-mentioned innovation, right? Like uh, there's no, no time left because we still have to ship uh, business value and most of our time went in uh, fixing bugs. So there's an inherent interest uh, in the teams uh, to fix these things and still you know ship uh, uh, good features to our customers so yeah that, that's the basis of you know trying to promote a blameless but accountable culture where the teams are empowered and they find it in their interest to improve these uh, processes uh, yeah Thanks. would love to hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, sorry, you were asking, (laughs) Priya?
1: Yeah, I was about to say something, but um, no, I really appreciate you saying that there should be a blameless culture. And when I think about like our role, being a technical leader, it's it's a funny role. If something works well, um, it's because of the developer that we have shipped that. But if something goes wrong, it's because of us, because we are not reviewing things, right? So it's such a tricky position sometimes and uh, we need to make sure we don't break things when we make things and there's there's a constant battle of providing that operational excellence as well as uh shipping platform like products not breaking things and i guess um within the team as well there should be like a sense of um, what value the product brings to the market Because uh, unconsciously as well, um, you you um, care for that thing a bit more if you value that, if you understand the importance of it. So there there are times where we develop things in a staging, it works, but when we move to production, it doesn't. You know that happens a lot. And the why's that uh, Deep mentioned it's really important. Like first is why did that happen? Like how uh, did we miss? Um, something that was working is staging and um, like immediately doesn't work in production. And then understanding the issue so that it doesn't happen again. And it's just like process with one fail case, you can improve that in next release, like with um, one mistake. It helps you to understand uh, what are the common issues that we face when we aim towards operational excellence. So I guess it's it's more about um how as a team we value the things that we work on that we ship that we provide to the customer and uh, this sense of purpose should be among everyone who are contributing to the project be it the developer or the tester or uh, the reviewer who is reviewing the code so um yeah it's like a collaboration thing I guess
3: Yeah, the ownership part that you are mentioning is super important. Yes, like
1: yeah, yeah, everyone is responsible. Like we heard about all the breaches and um, people blame developers, people blame testers, but eventually everyone uh, should take the ownership of it, uh, from the high level business representatives to the um, developers to the project managers. Everyone is responsible. Life, so yeah, the ownership is for everyone.
2: Yeah, I think culture uh, operational excellence is something you build into a culture. It's not something, yeah. you know, it comes as a standalone activity you do with your shipping product products to the production. But it's just the culture you bring into your organization as an operational excellence, what what you're delivering, you know, that you are not blaming uh, anyone, and you're taking accountability. As Dipanjan mentioned, you know. Uh, the, the PIR reviews they really help building a resilient culture how things should should be done the next time this happens uh, so it's all about you know rethinking or rewiring our brain and bringing the operational excellence into the into the engineering teams as a part of it as a part of the culture rather than just an activity that happens on the side uh, but in saying so there are few things uh think that have seen really working well and i try to implement this uh in every team i go to is, is so i borrowed this concept from amazon so they started chaos m- m- uh, chaos engineering uh, you know, mostly for the platforms but you can bring it into the front ends and uh, anywhere you can think of software engineering so the concept is everything that could go wrong will go wrong as Deepan mentioned, it's impossible to not to ship bugs, right? So that's an accepted risk uh, you take when you're building a product, that something will go wrong. With the chaos engineering, it will go wrong. So you're building a resilient framework. Your resilient uh, engineering teams know this risk. And so you implement sort of a guardrails or structures, the way you are developing your product. And you... T- Test it in a way that something has gone wrong, which also includes just randomly stopping an instance of server, and testing how it impact, how it impacts the user. So what we want to reduce is the impact of, on the user, right? As long as a, a user can still use the product, even if it is buggy, it's fine. So I always uh, use this analogy: a, you know stopped elevator is still better than a stopped uh, lift right, so all, all I use these analogies when I'm in a team meeting, and we are thinking about what to do next in terms of resiliency, so is this a what are you building? Is it a lift or a escalator uh, if you're building an escalator, so that means even if it is not working as expected, it is still usable. so that's the idea of chaos engineering that you know you could use it in front and in the back end it was originally designed from the platform services or network services where i think netflix took it to the next level where they shut down their whole availability zone in i think in arizona to see how the customers get affected and uh, they did really well so they wrote on big blogs and everything pub you know ebooks are published out there but it's mostly a mindset of bringing resilience into mm-hmm into the product you are building as a core of it rather than some
3: extension of it. Yeah, glad you added that money. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Degraded experience rather than no experience at all, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you build redundancies at uh, every possible layer, like at the data store, uh, to the server, and to the front end as well. Yeah. Yeah
2: and it comes with a the cost then you know i can jump back to the the trade offs again <laughs> but um, you, you have to accept where you're putting your you know coins in which bucket and which what matters to you the most is it the quality is the speed or you know the, uh, the cost you're saving so yeah so all things i think we are discussing just ties back into each other where you know you need have to have that innovation mindset as well to bring things into into your teams and then you need to take accountability for when things go wrong and how you you know make these trade-offs between innovation and the speed and everywhere so i think yeah i'm really liking you know this discussion happening in this panel
0: yeah no i i would have to agree i think it's been very interesting uh between all the questions how they've looked at like the concept at a different light. So from within your actual team culture and environment, then from a business level and sort of more corporate, um, how that product is actually integrating out into the world. Um, And then just like what actually operational excellence even looks like just defining that. So how can you reach a goal if you can't define what the goal is first? So I think it's been a really interesting multi-layered or multi-tiered uh, conversation how each question is kind of integrated into each other today um did anyone have any final points on on any of the above questions before we wrap this up no silence cool we love silence all righty
2: i would say oh. i would say something i think at the end of the day all depends on the culture you're bringing to the team uh, yeah, there are no tools that will just enable you to do the innovation, the productivity, the observability, the resilience. If the culture, the mindset is not there, and uh, most often it drizzles down from top to bottom. You know, if they take the, the CTOs, the engineering leaders, they are into this. You know, mindset that they want to bring the best out of the team. They want to build the best product out there. So drizzle down. they give the space to the engineering teams to do their best and engineers will do their best all the time.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and on that note, um, before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thank you to all of our guests for jumping on today uh, to share your thoughts um, on today's topic. Um And once again, I want to thank you to our listeners for tuning in to our topic of best practice for engineering excellence, enhancing effectiveness and efficiency. If you are hiring for technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, feel free to drop me a message. I'm Cooper and you can find me on LinkedIn. Thanks again to all of our guests and we hope you can join us next time. So thank you so much, guys.